It's a phrase we hear over and over on Twitter whenever someone criticizes morally troubling anti-leftist tactics used by members of the right. They say, what are you, some sort of coward? What are you worried about, my principles? The phrase is meant to deride the supposed moral preening of those who criticize. They must think themselves high and mighty, whining about virtue where some good, hard-nosed, old-fashioned, get-in-the-dirt-and-fight-em tactics would do. These worries about the right and wrong just hamstring the right. My principles are a liability. Why can't those weaklings just get over the supposed moral purity and fight in the trenches? Now... I am no fan of political cowardice. I wrote an entire book called Bullies, in which I blasted the left's character assassination techniques. I routinely speak on college campuses in conditions that are less than physically secure. I am more than happy to tell people things they don't want to hear in political debate, and I've been threatened more than once on national television, by the way, for my trouble. But I am also a fan of principles. I'm a fan of principles because without them, politics becomes meaningless. Even those who criticize my principles have their own principles. The ma principles crowd's highest principle is supposedly defeating the left. That's the entire argument. If you stick with your wishy-washy principles about civility, you'll lose. And if you lose, my principles will be destroyed. But as it turns out, many of the people who mock my principles have no actual principles other than empty tribal victory. Never was that clearer than this week when several members of the self-appointed Trump ardent defense squad went full social justice warrior, invading a Shakespeare in the Park performance of Julius Caesar that depicts President Trump as Caesar. Screaming liberal hate kills, they stormed the stage, called the audience member Joseph Goebbels, and held up the production. Those who objected to this obtuse behavior were simply being hamstrung by my principles, they then proclaimed except that there were no principles at stake here. What was the supposed principle? Perhaps the principle was that artists shouldn't make art that invokes images of violence inflicted on a president. Then why weren't they upset about a rodeo clown dressed up as President Obama in 2013? Maybe the principle was that radical rhetoric leads to violence. Then why weren't they upset when candidate Trump urged his followers to clock protesters? Maybe the principle was that shutting down others' free speech is bad, a sort of ironic lesson for the left. Then why didn't they say so, rather than claiming that the content of the play justified their shutdown? And why would this be a good strategy, given that the self-immolating hard-left's free speech shutdowns have backfired so dramatically that even Obama and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have been forced to condemn them? No, there were no principles here other than tribalistic anti-left foolishness. Unfortunately, that seems to be the order of the day for a few select on the right. I'm old enough to remember when the pro-Trump right justified Trump's behavior on the grounds that he had to build a wall and rescind Obama's executive amnesty. Now, only Ann Coulter has the guts to point out that Trump hasn't done either of those things and that he just enshrined for all time Obama's executive amnesty. I'm old enough to remember when the pro-Trump right assured conservatives that it would hold Trump to account if he were to fail to repeal Obamacare. Now it's ignoring the fact that he called a watered-down Obamacare too mean and pushed for broader funding. What are the principles? I thought my principles had to go so that they could achieve their principles, but they seem rather blithe about the collapse of some of their supposed core precepts, which suggests that maybe there are some on the right who just want to fight, and they've forgotten why they fight and even how to fight. All that matters now is winning, even if they have no idea what winning looks like other than the other guy losing. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, lots to talk about today. I'm going to talk about, at length, the Ossoff loss, which is just hilarious. I have been all evening, I, last night I was laughing my ass off. Um, it was just spectacular. Um, the good news is that he will at least have a soft landing. Um, he's probably going to end up, I think, as a rotating co-host on Pod Save America, because that's probably the only place he can go from here. But before we get to any of that, and there's a lot to talk about, it is a vindication for President Trump, just because the left turned it into a referendum on Trump when it really did not have to be. But before we get to any of that, first I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Helix Sleep. So, I don't get a lot of sleep, which means that the sleep that I do get, I need it to be just, I need to be fast asleep, I need to be comfortable. 
I really need to get my quality sleep since I can't get quantity sleep due to the two kids in my house under age four. Well, that's where Helix Sleep comes in. Helix Sleep Mattress is the most comfortable mattress in America for my money. HelixSleep.com slash Ben. The way that it works is you go on their site and ask you a bunch of questions about, do you like to sleep on your side or your back? Uh, how much do you weigh? What's your body type? Do you like the mattress to be breathable? Do you like it to absorb heat? What, how do you want the mattress to be? And then they send it to you in the mail. You can actually have a mattress that has two separate settings for you and your spouse. Uh, then they send it to you in the mail and you open the box and it inflates right in front of you because it's a foam mattress. And then you just put it on your bed and you're good to go. And you can try it out for 100 nights. And if you don't like it, you can send it back for free. They will come pick it up. They'll give you a 100% refund. No questions asked. You won't have to do it because the mattress is super duper comfortable. So go to helixsleep.com slash Ben and get $50 off your order. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Get 50 bucks off your order right now. Helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use that slash Ben so that they know that we sent you as well. Get that $50 off. Uh, that keeps them advertising with us so that we can continue to bring you the show. Okay, so uh, last night, John Ossoff loses by five points to Karen Handel in the Georgia 6th. The Democrats had poured $30 million, $30 million into this ridiculous race. Now, it is important to note, the reason that they thought they were going to win this race is because Hillary Clinton only lost to Donald Trump in this district by one point in 2016. The reason that this was somewhat delusional is because Tom Price, who was the congressperson who just left to join the Trump administration as Secretary of Health and Human Services, he had won the district in the same election cycle by 23 points. In other words, there are a lot of Republicans in the district who aren't fond of President Trump, but who also aren't going to vote for a Democrat just because they don't like President Trump. Trump wasn't on the ballot last night. Karen Handel was on the ballot. They kind of like Karen Handel. They certainly like Karen Handel a lot more than, than they like John Ossoff. And the Democrats' attempts to turn everything into a referendum on Trump really backfired against them in a significant way last night. Again, they dumped tons of outside-the-district money in. John Ossoff looks like they found the one man in America who's nerdier than I am, and they ran him for Congress. Uh, and then they ran him from a district that wasn't even the Georgia 6th. But I think it's important to, to look at how the media played this race because it really played into why the Democrats lost here. The reason the Democrats lost is because the media ran a race that the voters in the district were not interested in running. They were all jazzed because back in April, Ossoff won 48% of the vote, 49% of the vote. That's because 1,000 Republicans were running, and so Democrats were able to consolidate their vote, and nobody paid attention to the special election because it was assumed that Republicans were going to win it until Ossoff came very close to winning in the, in the first round. Then in the runoff, Republicans actually showed up to vote. That's kind of the short story. But Democrats were claiming from the very beginning that this race was going to be a referendum on Trump. Is Trump doing a good job or a bad job? He's doing a crappy job. He's a Russian spy, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore, John Ossoff is definitely going to win some random district in the middle of suburb suburban Georgia. So here is CNN covering the race. This is right after the, the original round in which Ossoff missed winning 50%. Ossoff will face off against Republican Karen Handel in June for the seat formerly held by Trump's health secretary, Tom Price, in a contest seen as a referendum on Trump's presidency and a preview of next year's midterm elections. President Trump taking credit for the results, hailing the runoff as a win, despite Ossoff's strong showing, tweeting, despite major outside money, Fake media support and 11 Republican candidates. Big R win with runoff in Georgia. Glad to be of help. The president was personally invested in the election, bashing the Democratic contender in a barrage of tweets and even recording a robocall to urge Republicans to get out and vote. Ossoff will raise your taxes, destroy your health care, 
and flood our country with illegal immigrants. President Trump beat Hillary Clinton in this Republican stronghold by just 1% okay, last November. Okay, so you November. can see that CNN and the rest of the media, they wanted to play this as it's all about Trump. It's all about Trump. Now, the reality is in the district, Trump is not particularly popular. Mitt Romney won this district in 2012 by 23 points, the same margin of victory for Tom Price in that same election cycle. So Trump is not that popular. And so the Democrats thought, okay, Trump is investing himself here. And that's why it's very, very important that, the, that he's going to lose. And you can see that the fallout from that was really funny last night because CNN, which had played this whole thing up as it's going to be a referendum on Trump, Trump's going to lose this, and then everyone's going to realize how toxic he is, and then he's going to lose 100 seats and the House in 2018. A little early to say that. You know, the, the, last night on CNN, this is going around because it's very, very funny. You can see the media reactions on CNN. This is the actual footage last night on CNN. All the Democrats looking like they want to die. This is the second funniest thing I've seen uh, in the last year. The first funniest thing, of course, was election night when it looked like the entire Democratic Party was going to reenact the, the last scene from Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Anyway, here, here it was on CNN last night. To David's point earlier about Democrats uh, kind of and Gloria about looking inward and trying to figure out how to run in the Trump era. This was supposed to be the district that they could have done that mm -hmm. because it is wealthy, it is educated, and the kind of voters who are in this district were supposed to be the kind that Democrats could pick off from the Republican. Mm -hmm. If the Republican ends up winning, it, it throws the whole Democratic strategy into kind of up in the air and they kind of have to re-figure it out all over again. All right, we got we got to uh, take a quick break. Uh, we'll have more with all... <laughs> And this picture was the one that was making the rounds last night because you can see all of the Democrats on set looking like they're just contemplating life's meaninglessness, that life doesn't mean anything and then you die and spend all eternity just moldering in the ground, not a thought in your head because you're dead. It's like they just realized about nihilism. And so it's just, I love this shot. So <laughs> it is pretty spectacular stuff. I love it. I love it. Um, so... The, the, the Democrats made a bunch of mistakes here. I'm going to talk about all the Democratic mistakes here because we've talked a lot about the failings of the Republican Party because the Republican Party is the governing party right now. They have a majority in the House. They have a majority in the Senate. They have the presidency, and they're not getting a lot done. But the nice thing for Republicans, the Democrats are awful at everything. They are awful at everything. And so there are a bunch of sort of hot takes from the left that are worth discussing, plus the real reasons why they actually lost this election. So before we get to anything else with regard to why they lost this election, I think that it is important to state that the real reason that the Democrats lost this election is because they have a perverse notion of how these elections work. They do not work because they're going to somehow convince Trump-unfriendly Republicans to flip and vote Democrat. That's not even what happened in 2016. It wasn't a bunch of de Democrats who were unhappy with, with Barack Obama who flipped to Trump so much as it was a turnout game. The fact is the entire margin of victory in a lot of the swing states was lower turnout by Democrats in those swing states by percentages, particularly in the black community. And what happened in Georgia 6th is Democrats really needed high Democratic turnout and low Republican turnout by nationalizing the race, by giving it tons of publicity. Instead, what they ended up doing was driving Republican turnout up. They elevated Republican turnout. And by elevating Republican turnout, they ended up losing. Because here's the reality, folks. A bunch of people who reluctantly voted for Trump, which he won the district by one, a bunch of people who reluctantly voted for Trump are not going to start voting for people who back Nancy Pelosi. Just because you went in and you voted for Tom Price but not Trump does not mean now you're going to flip and vote for John Ossoff. That's idiocy. And for Democrats to think that is really stupid. This is why to make the whole thing about Trump is really, really dumb. 
For a marginal vote, maybe that matters. But what this is really about is motivating your base. The Democrats made the mistake of using Trump to motivate their base. But at the same time, they castigated Republican voters who voted for Trump by talking about Trump Russia and Trump's corrupt and Trump's evil. Well, let's say that you're a a voter in Georgia 6th or in Ohio or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin or Michigan. And let's say that you voted for Trump. You held your nose, right? You you weren't in love with Trump. You're like a lot of voters in GA6. You you didn't love Trump. You thought he's better than Hillary, but, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with this. And you pulled the lever for him. And now the Democrats spend the next eight months saying that Donald Trump is the most evil person in the world. Give power to Nancy Pelosi. How many of those people do you think are going to flip? The answer, of course, is zero. None of those people are going to flip. And in fact, it's going to drive you to the polls because you hate it. Nancy Pelosi is actually less popular than Donald Trump. Her current approval rating is 29% nationally. Okay, she's 10 points below Trump, and Trump's in bad shape. So again, the Democrats made a, a very large boo-boo when they started targeting these, what they called Republican swing voters, instead of trying to drive out their own base. It's exactly the same mistake, actually, that they made in 2016 when they started targeting Republican swing voters in Michigan as opposed to trying to drive out their own base. So a couple of things. Number one, Ossoff's chances in this district were inflated from the outset. This was a congressional race, not a race about Trump, not a race about Trump. The same year that Trump won by one, Tom Price won by 23 points. Second, Democrats nationalized this race with outside money. So by pouring money in from California, Ossoff received more money from California than from Georgia in this race. He spent $30 million, and now he's complaining about money in politics, which is just hysterically funny. By doing that, they ended up destroying their own, the, the credibility of their own candidate. What they really needed to do was keep this race under the, under the radar. That's actually what happened in the South Carolina district. There's another special election that happened yesterday, Mick Mulvaney who is now the director of the Office of Management and Budget, Mick Mulvaney's old district. There was, a, there was an election yesterday, the South Carolina 5th District, and the Republican only ends up winning by three. Mick Mulvaney won by 21, and Trump won by 18 in that district. So the idea that that, that was a really close race should scare Republicans. South Carolina 5 should scare Republicans. What Republicans should hope is that Democrats continue to nationalize every race, continue to elevate every race, because that is polarizing to Republicans, and Republicans will then turn out. In South Carolina 5, nobody even knew it was happening, and Democrats almost were able to sneak in and steal a victory in South Carolina 5, a, a district where Trump was, again, won by an enormous margin. So if Democrats hadn't nationalized this race with outside money and made it look like Ossoff was basically a carpetbagger coming in with California values, they would have done a lot better here. The third thing that Democrats did wrong is they got Hollywood involved. So Hollywood was deeply involved in this race. It was ridiculous. You had Alyssa Milano tweeting out last night that she needed a hug, to which every male in America said, sure, happy to provide it. And Hollywood got involved by robocalling and sending money and making a big deal out of this race. This is exactly the same mistake, again, that Hillary Clinton made by turning the DNC into a rerun of the Emmys. When you go to Georgia, do you really think a lot of voters in Georgia are deeply concerned about Lena Dunham's take on the Georgia 6th? Do you really think that? Karen Handel uh, slammed John Ossoff on this during their debate, and it was telling. It made a difference. That's why so many of your contributions have come from liberals of California, New York, and Massachusetts. It's why you're supported by Nancy Pelosi. And folks, it matters. It's no wonder that my opponent didn't want to do the Atlanta Press Club debate. It was going to be aired on CNN, where all folks from around the country, all of his liberal supporters were going to see it. And the fake John Ossoff was going to collide with the real John Ossoff, who is a Nancy Pelosi-backed liberal. Okay, and that was the entire point. That is why John Ossoff lost. Karen Handel, very solid Republican, wins the seat pretty easily. Fourth thing is that, again, Democrats made Trump the focus. And by making Trump the focus, 
they didn't just go after his policies. If they'd said, listen, Trump's policies are not great and Trump is kind of scuzzy. Instead of doing that, they did what they've been doing all along. Apocalyptic rhetoric. Trump is the worst person ever. If you voted for Trump and someone tells you that Trump is the worst person ever, you tend to buck against that. You do. Okay, it's, it, this is like telling somebody that their girlfriend is kind of a jerk. You tell someone their girlfriend is kind of a jerk, even if they know deep down their girlfriend is kind of a jerk, they're not going to respond well to that. The same thing holds true here. Even people in Georgia 6 who didn't like Trump still like Trump better than Pelosi. And that's the fifth point. Democrats still have that albatross of Nancy Pelosi hanging around their neck. And finally, Ossoff didn't live in the district. And this made a difference. When you combine the fact he was getting all sorts of California money, when you combine that with the Hollywood support, when you combine that with the nationalization of the race and making it about Trump, what you end up with is this image of a guy who's carpetbagging it in from another district. He's a documentary filmmaker with California support. And here he is trying to steal a district in good old Georgia. Again, Karen Handel hammered Ossoff on this during the debate, and it really hurt him. So, John, I guess what I would like to know is exactly who are you going to vote for in this election? Is that the question? Okay. Uh, well, I think Secretary Handel is referring to my residence, uh, which is a matter that I've addressed transparently uh, throughout this campaign. Uh, I grew up in the 6th Congressional District. Uh, I was born and raised in Georgia, unlike Secretary Handel, who was born and raised in Washington, D.C. Actually, it is of concern to the people of the 6th District that you do not live in our community. And while I was born in Washington, D.C., I didn't get to pick where I was born. But the fact is, I've been in Georgia for almost as long as you've even been alive. You might live just five minutes outside of the district, but your values are nearly 3,000 miles away in San Francisco. Again, her hitting him again about the California values, and that was the telling point. Now, what's funny is, is the Democrat responses to this. And I want to get to the hot takes from Democrats over this whole thing and why exactly it's, it's indicative of, of why they're going to continue losing if they keep this up. But before we do that, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at the USCCA. So you wake up at 2 in the morning and somebody's breaking into your house and you have to grab your gun and you have to shoot them. First of all, you don't know you freeze up because you don't have the training. And then second, if you do shoot them, you're afraid that the cops are going to come and arrest you because... Just because you shot someone coming in your house in a state like California doesn't mean that you won't go to jail. That's why you need the USCCA. Not only do they provide training, they also provide you the defense resources you need in case you're in a situation where you do have to shoot someone in self-defense. That's what USCCA is for, to protect you before, during, and after a self-defense incident. Well, right now, when you go to defendmyfamilynow.com, that's defendmyfamilynow.com, you can actually enter to, for five chances to win $1,776 to buy the gun of your dreams and all the ammo you need for an awesome summer at the range and to defend your family. It's, an, it's a really, really cool thing they're doing right before July 4th, 1776. Get it? You have five chances to win $1,776 when you register over at defendmyfamilynow.com to enter for free. And you have five chances to enter for free. Defendmyfamilynow.com. Again, go to defendmyfamilynow.com. Not only do you get all the services of USCCA, but you get one of those five opportunities to win $1,776 for the gun or ammo of your choice. Super cool. We are so pleased to be working with the USCCA, doing tremendous work on behalf of gun owners across the United States and prospective gun owners who just want to win $1,776 to buy a new gun. DefendMyFamilyNow.com. Okay, so the Democrats have reacted to the Ossoff loss in the same way they reacted to the Hillary loss. It is almost impossible to overstate 
how off the rails Democrats have gone in the aftermath of Hillary losing. They just could not deal with Hillary Clinton losing the election. And so that's why they went into this whole Trump-Russia collusion thing. This is why they went into the idea that the election was stolen from Hillary Clinton. It's why they've castigated the American voter as racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, doubling down on their own stupidity. They're doing the same thing now. And last night was a good indicator of that. This is the crowd at Ossoff's party, you know, his, his defeat party. This is what the crowd was chanting over at his, over at his defeat party. Okay, so they're chanting, this is what democracy looks like. Tell me what democracy looks like, as opposed to Karen Handel's crowd, who apparently are fascists of some sort. And whenever Democrats say, this is what democracy looks like, what they really mean is, look at all the funny-looking people around here. Look at how we're all diverse and such. Look at, look at there are so many different colors and so many different races and so many different genders and so many different everything. This is what democracy looks like. The implication, of course, being that people on the other side are homogenous white people, straight white males who hate America and hate people of diverse colors and orientations and such. This is such a mistake by Democrats, but this is what they continue to promulgate because when you lose, you have two choices. You can either determine why you lost and try to fight against that, or you can blame everybody else on earth. You can blame everyone on the planet except for yourself, and that's what the Democrats have done. They've, they've decided to blame everybody. So here are some of the dumbest Democratic responses to all of this. Number one, in the category of everybody, all the voters are terrible, is Jill Filipovich. Uh, she is a feminist writer. She wrote on Twitter, quote, at what point is this not a failure of Democrats, but toxic, vindictive voters willing to elect hateful bigots? Okay, I know Karen Handel, actually. I know Karen Handel relatively well, actually. Karen Handel is anything but a bigot. Karen Handel is a charming, genteel woman. She is, she is terrific. I really like Karen Handel personally a lot. Uh, and the idea that she is a hateful bigot and that everyone who's voting for Democrats uh, is just wonderful, but everybody voting for Republicans is evil, is really despicable. Jill Filipovich continued, I know it's more important, it's more convenient to blame the party for just not convincing people, but what kind of people vote for candidates like Handel or Trump? First of all, Karen Handel did not really utilize Trump's support in this election cycle. It was Paul Ryan and the NRCC that came in and saved Karen Handel's bacon. The NRCC put tremendous resources on the ground. They put like $18 million on the ground. I think it was $13 million. $18 million total came in for Karen Handel. They put that kind of money on the ground. That was not Trump. That was, that was Paul Ryan who did that. Handel and Trump could not be more different in terms of temperament, in terms of positions as well. But Jill Filipovich has to blame the crowd. She says, at some point, we, ha we have to be willing to say that, yes, lots of conservative voters are hateful and willing to embrace bigots. Some are even motivated by bigotry. There's no winning if Democrats keep their soul. Maybe we should instead try to convince all of the people of color and women to turn out instead of trying to convince hateful white people, etc. This is what Democrats did in 2016. This was a massive lose, and Democrats are going to continue to maintain this. Sally Cohn always can be counted on for a take so hot that it, that it toasts your Pop-Tarts in the morning. Here is Sally Cohn. She tweeted, quote, Best thing that could come out of the GA6 results is for Democratic Party to finally give up its self-destructive obsession with centrism. Yes, I'm sure that if you had run a Bernie Sanders wild left Nancy Pelosi candidate in Georgia 6, you would have won. Never mind the fact that Karen Handel won because she was able to link John Ossoff with such people. Definitely, Democrats, please run to the hard left. The third thing was the We Need a Hug group. This is Alyssa Milano. She said, group hug, get in. Okay, weird. I mean, I'm uh, all right. And then finally, over at the Washington Post, there's a, a, a reporter named Paul Kane who theorizes that Ossoff lost because he was too genteel. He says, well, if he'd just been more passionate, that would have been better. 
Asaf chose the high priest route instead of the fierce warrior. It was civil disobedience rather than civil unrest, and he still lost by an even wider margin than the almost forgotten Parnell. This would be uh, the candidate in the South Carolina 5th. So the idea is we all have to act like Trump now. We have to yell and scream and be brutal and all this, and then we'll win. No, you won't win then. You will lose then. Trump did not win because he was all of those things. He won because Hillary Clinton was the worst candidate in the history of American politics, and Trump's aggressiveness was an asset even if his brutality was a drawback. You can be aggressive without being brutal, uh, and, and Democrats seem to fail to acknowledge all of that. But please, Democrats, keep those hot takes coming. Really appreciate it. Now, I do want to discuss what this means for 2018 and how Republicans have to be a little bit careful in their interpretation of these results. They may be getting over their skis in in terms of the triumphalism a little bit early, but for that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com right now and become a subscriber. For $8 a month, you can subscribe to dailywire.com. Now, if you want to subscribe and get access to the mailbag, watch the rest of the show live, get Andrew Clavin's show live, get access to his mailbag, we have new shows that are coming. If you want to get that for $8 a month, you have until July 1st to do that, because on July 1st, we are raising our rates. It's not going to change rates for anybody who's currently subscribed. So if you subscribe right now, then you get in under the wire for $8 a month. This is also true for the annual subscribers. If you go and become an annual subscriber right now, not only do you get in under the wire before we raise rates July 1st, but also you get a free signed copy of this here book, Say It So, by me and my dad. It's all about dads and sons and baseball. I had my dad on last Friday. He's a wonderful guy. He's also a terrific writer. Uh, And uh, Say It So is the name of the book. You can get a signed copy, uh, signed by me, and uh, you can get all that with an annual subscription. If you just want to listen later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud. Make sure that you subscribe. Uh, I think Google Play has it as well. Make sure that you subscribe, and then you can download the show. We always appreciate your, your... not only listening to the show, but also leaving a review. So if you do that, that also helps let other people know through the iTunes algorithm that we exist. We always appreciate it. We are the largest conservative podcast in the country. Okay, so the Republicans are also a little bit over their skis with regard to the reaction to Karen Handel's win. So I just talked at length about why the Democrats are going to continue to lose if they continue to keep this up. But as I mentioned... I think that the smart Democrat play here is to continue pounding on Trump, as they have been, to continue to polarize and drive out their base, as they have been, but then in these congressional districts to sort of keep it close to the vest because they have to, it's a turnout game now. And not a lot of convincible voters in the middle. It's not like there are a bunch of moderates who are waiting to hear from Democrats and waiting to hear from Republicans. In midterm elections particularly, it is a turnout game, which is why the off-party usually wins in these midterm elections. Right now, there are close to 20 seats that exist in Hillary districts that are Republican seats, and so Democrats have a real shot there if they keep their cards close to their chests. There are 75 seats that are up for play, basically, and most of the other seats are safe. There are 75 seats that are up for play. Democrats need to win a third of those, so that's not impossible Republicans who are attributing all of this to President Trump's glory and wonder are making a mistake or or who are saying that his unpopularity isn't going to matter at all, I think, are also making a mistake. It's a little bit easier to have response rates like GA6 when it's a special election the entire nation is focused on or Montana, where the entire nation was focused. But when it's 300 odd districts, when it's 435 districts all across the country uh, that are that are up for play and 75 of those are up for play, it's a little bit harder to get people jazzed up in each particular district the way the Republicans did in GA6. And it is important to note that Republican turnout is down by percentage much more than Democratic turnout is down from 2016 by percentage in all of the special elections that have taken place. And that includes the Georgia 6th. That includes the Georgia 6th. So I think Republicans have to be careful here. You know, a lot of people are saying this is a big victory for President Trump. It's a victory for Trump in the sense that if he had lost, if if this race had been lost, everyone would have blamed Trump. But it's not Trump's victory 
because Karen Handel won. It's Trump's victory in spite of the fact that Trump is not particularly popular. So think of it this way. Right now, the New York Yankees are on a six-game losing skid, or a seven-game losing skid. I'm not sure what they did last night. Aaron Judge is one of the best players in the majors right now. Last I checked, he was leading all the triple crown categories, batting average home runs and ribbies. He's the best player on the New York Yankees and maybe in baseball. There's a pitcher named Paul Tanaka, who is a pitcher for the for the... Uh, from the New York Yankees, and he came into the season, and he was supposed to be a—he was supposed to be the guy, right? I'm sorry, Paul Masahiro Tanaka uh, is is the name of the is the name of the pitcher. He was supposed to be the guy for the for the New York Yankees, uh, and he has not been very good. So, think of it this way: if Masahiro Tanaka pitched and gave up three earned runs instead of seven earned runs, and Aaron Judge hit two home runs. Is it Tanaka's? Is it Tanaka who won the game, uh, or is it Judge who won the game? And the answer is a little bit of both, but mostly Judge, right? If if or let's make it even worse. Let's say Masahiro Tanaka gave up seven runs, but Judge hit three home runs and, and had eight ribbies. Who won the game? Was it Judge or was it Tanaka? Well, Tanaka would have been on the hook if he lost, right? If he lost, then it would have been all Tanaka's fault. But if he won, then it's really Judge's play. And that's what happened here, okay? This wasn't Trump's play. It's not that Trump did something so brilliant in GA6. It doesn't mean that Trump is going to be overweeningly popular. It doesn't mean that Trump is is the factor causing the vote to get out. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means the NRCC did a good job on the ground that Trump is still a continuing drag on some of these Republicans, but not enough of a drag to matter because, again, Republicans are not going to vote for Nancy Pelosi Democrats just because they don't they're not in love with everything that Trump is doing. They still like Trump better than they like Nancy Pelosi, and they certainly like their local congressional candidate better than they like Nancy Pelosi. That said, Trump does need to do better if he wants to make Republicans more competitive across the country in 2018. I think that the Democrat despair is a little bit premature. I think the Republican triumphalism is a little bit mature. Leading up to 2010, there are a bunch of special elections also, and Democrats won virtually all of them, and then they got swamped in 2010. So this is a little bit much. Trump tweeted out that it was a victory for him. This is, of course, his first reaction because he's Donald Trump. Here's what he said. He said, thank you, Fox News. Huge win for President Trump and GOP in Georgia congressional special election. It took him another two tweets to get to Karen Handel, <laughs> but uh, it, but he, he's right. Listen, I mean, Trump does not take the L here, uh, but to attribute the W to him, I think, is a little bit much. People are pointing to Karen Handel thanking Trump last night as evidence that it was really Trump's impact in this district that mattered. Here was the tape from Karen Handel thanking Trump last night. And a special thanks to the President of the United States of America. Right, a lot of people are chanting Trump there, and this is evidence that this was all about Trump. Well, Except that Karen Handel didn't mention Trump virtually the entire election cycle. Trump didn't go down to GA6 to campaign with her. Uh, they sent Mike Pence, I believe, to campaign with her. So, again, this is not a rip on Trump. It really is not. It's just to say, let's not pretend that Trump, what Trump does doesn't matter. It, it is going to matter. It just didn't matter very much in GA6, or at least the amount that it mattered was not super high. It, it obviously mattered more in SC5, in South Carolina 5. Okay. Meanwhile, as I say, the left cannot get out of its own way. If the left were smart, what they would be doing right now is pointing out that Donald Trump is not good at this job, that he hasn't really done anything, and that he hasn't fulfilled promises that he's made to a lot of people. But instead, the left is still going full conspiracy because they have to let us off and Hillary off the hook by saying that Trump is super-duper corrupt and cheating. Rachel Maddow last night on MSNBC was doing this routine again about Trump's real estate holdings like anybody cares. 
A federal racketeering lawsuit, a RICO law against Felix Sater's company, in which he partnered with Donald Trump. That RICO lawsuit has been allowed to go forward now. And the former employee who has brought that RICO lawsuit against Felix Sater and his former company in which he partnered with Donald Trump, that RICO lawsuit, the guy who brought that RICO lawsuit, is now telling a reporter named Tim O'Brien at Bloomberg News that when Felix Sater and his company put together the financing for those Trump projects, including the Trump Soho, they had a very specific explanation internally at their company for why they had to take some foreign financing for the Trump projects and why they had to turn some other foreign financing down. You can see, you know, look, she's looking for the kill shot on Trump. Instead of them just campaigning against Trump the same way they campaigned against Bush, instead of just saying, Bush, what they said about Bush is he's stupid, he's a bad president, vote for us. Right? Republicans are corrupt, he's a bad president, vote for us. Instead, they're doing the, he's going to be taken down. Do you understand? He's going to be, he's just going to be taken down. I mean, there will be real estate holdings. And let me explain to you what that means in really detailed language. What that means is that Trump, by 2018, will no longer be president. He will be in jail, in Russia, in a gulag, because that's what the documents show. In the, <laughs> it's just, if the left keeps on with this crap, no wonder nobody's paying attention. They anyone in, jo- in GA6 cared about Trump's real estate holdings or they think that Trump is some tool of the Russians? Because that's the underlying thing here. Even if Trump had corrupt business dealings, does anyone really believe that he's a tool of Vladimir Putin when we may go to war with Russia over Syria, like right now? It's just silly. Mark Levin had a great take about this yesterday. He was talking about Robert Mueller, who's the special counsel, and he was saying what I've been saying for a while, which is that even if Donald Trump was fired FBI Director James Comey for, uh, for a bad reason, that still does not constitute obstruction of justice. I mean, I talked about this at length on the show like a week ago, and I hear his Mark saying the same thing. Well, let's talk about this, because um, we've had a debate the last several weeks as a result of the Jim Comey illegal leak through his law uh, professor buddy to the New York Times that The suggestion is that Donald Trump obstructed justice. Now, you and I know, and anybody with with any uh, competence knows, that the President of the United States not only didn't obstruct justice, he can't obstruct justice. That aside, this has been the debate for weeks. Obstructing justice, obstructing... Well, will Mueller investigate him? Mueller's investigated. That's not the question. That's media insanity. The issue is, why would Mueller investigate a sitting president at all as a criminal matter? Because it's been the position of the United States Department of Justice under Republicans and Democrats in a 1973 memorandum and an October memorandum under the Clinton administration that you must not, cannot indict a sitting president. Okay, and that's, and that that's right. I mean, would- now, the case for Mueller's investigation is that he's investigating Trump in ancillary fashion. But no, Trump is not going to be thrown out of office and all of the fantasies of the left are not going to come true. Now. I want to talk for a little bit about the fact that Republicans aren't doing anything with all this winning. So we've talked about Democrats losing. We've talked about the, the insanity of suggesting that Trump is going to be ousted through anything other than impeachment, that there's going to be any sort of criminal investigation into Trump that results in his, in his going to jail, which is legally impossible. What are they actually doing with all of this? What are they actually doing with all of this? So they're supposed to propose Trump Care by the end of the week. We're supposed to finally see the text of Trump Care. Then they're supposed to get a CBO score on Monday and vote on it by like Wednesday. This is the plan to rush this thing through. Mike Lee, as I've said, maybe the last honest senator in America. There are like three guys in the Senate who I actually like Mike Lee, Ben Sass, Ted Cruz. Um, and Lee is a super duper honest. 
But here is Mike Lee talking yesterday about the negotiations on health care. And he says, listen, conservatives have basically been shut out of this process because Mitch McConnell just wants to ram something through. This is not good stuff. As I said yesterday, if somebody is surprising you, if they're keeping something secret from you and it's not Valentine's Day coming up, then it's going to be bad. Here is what Senator Lee had to say. I've had a lot of people ask me specifically uh, when the health care bill is going to be released to the public, why it isn't public. Uh, the short answer to the question is I haven't seen it yet either. Even though I've been a member of this working group among Senate Republicans uh, assigned to help uh, narrow some of the focus of this, uh, I haven't seen the bill. And it has become increasingly apparent in the last few days that even though we thought we were going to be in charge of writing a bill within this working group, it's not being written by us. It's apparently being written by a small handful of uh, staffers for members of the Republican leadership in the Senate. So if you're frustrated by the lack of transparency in this process, I share your frustration. I share it wholeheartedly. Uh, the American people need and deserve to be able to see legislation as it moves through the Senate. I, I hope that we will receive uh, the draft legislation soon. I'm told that it exists. I just haven't been able to see it yet. And as far as I know, the overwhelming majority of my colleagues haven't been able to see it either. Okay, again, just ridiculous. Okay, just just ridiculous that Mike Lee, who is one of the thought leaders for the conservative movement, isn't allowed to even see the bill. Who's negotiating this? I mean, Ted Cruz yesterday said that he hadn't seen the bill. Ted Cruz was supposed to be one of the lead conservative negotiators on this bill. What's going to come out is going to be a monstrosity. It's going to be crappy. I'm just predicting it right now. The House bill was bad enough. It is marginally better than Obamacare, but in many ways it is not even in, in some ways, it's actually worse than Obamacare. It's, it's, it's a garbage bill, and it's garbage and worse garbage out. That seems to be how Congress operates. Again, what you do with the congressional majority matters more than just gaining the congressional majority. You actually have to do something with it. At this point, Daniel Horowitz over a conservative review made. He said, listen, I'm happy that Ossoff lost. So am I. I'm happy that someone good like Karen Handel is in. That's great. Now what are you going to do with it? Meanwhile, in other news that is that is being ignored because it's more important, this is what I, I don't like about what's happening on the right, is we're so interested in, yes, we defeated Ossoff. Yay! Okay, great, great. Okay, now, what are you going to do with it? The Syrian civil war is heating up, and we don't have a plan there. We just don't. Now, I'm not saying there is a perfect plan. I don't know that there's a great solution in the Syrian civil war, but at least we have to have some goals. And I haven't heard what the goals are. Are the goals to oust Assad? I don't know. Is the goal to defeat ISIS? and then occupy the area, or to use the Kurds to occupy the area, or to create an independent Kurdistan? Like, what exactly are our goals there? And why is it that Congress hasn't voted on it? I mean, there, there is a, Obama got into an illegal war in Syria. There was no congressional approval. Obama knew that, and that's why he tried to pawn it off on the Congress, and then he went ahead and did what he wanted anyway. Right now, we are engaged in military operations with boots on the ground in Syria without congressional approval. Again, I don't know where the authorization to do this legally comes from. Rand Paul is exactly right. Listen, we may disagree on foreign policy, but we totally agree on the application of the Constitution here. Here's Senator Paul talking about why it's absurd that we have not had any sort of congressional approval or authorization of the action in Syria. There's supposed to be no war without an AUMF. We have been illegally at war for a long time now. This is illegal war at this point. Okay, that is exactly right. What he's saying there is 100% true. Bob Corker says that there's the possibility that this could spill over and it could it could turn into a broader conflict. We actually have a brewing conflict that could spill over uh, into actions between us and the Syrian regime. That definitely is not authorized. And uh, and, and again, it's my hope that uh, this is going to simmer uh, or cool down and, and not lead to any further conflict. 
Okay, again, this is just, um, I think, it, it's, it's important to recognize that we have to have goals here. We have to figure out what exactly that looks like. And the kind of hodgepodge goals of the Trump administration with Nikki Haley arguing with General Mattis, arguing with Rex Tillerson, without any clear foreign policy, what you do with the power matters more than just gaining the power. So let's see a plan, and then we can determine whether it's a good plan or a bad plan. Okay, time for some things I like, things I hate, and then we'll do a little bit of Bible talk. So, things I like. Uh, we've been doing witch-related material. Uh, we've done a version of, the, uh, of, of this play before, but this play is famous for the presence of witches in it, and this, of course, is Macbeth. So there's a very good production of Macbeth with Patrick Stewart. It's a modernized version with Patrick Stewart. Macbeth is a fantastic play. It's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful play. Uh, one of Shakespeare's greatest four, in my opinion. Uh, the greatest four would be Hamlet, King Lear, uh, Othello and, uh, and Macbeth, those would be the, the greatest four. I like his tragedies better than I like his comedies. I know some people favor his comedies. I, uh, I, his comedies are, are wonderful too, but his tragedies are a different level. Uh, here is a little bit of the preview of Macbeth with Patrick Stewart. All hail Macbeth. Thou shalt be king hereafter. Production. It was a PBS production, uh, I believe. And the uh, and the the point of the witches in Macbeth, and one of the things I like about the the way that, that Shakespeare portrays the witches in Macbeth is that they produce a, a they they produce a prediction of what's going to happen with Macbeth without giving him the full story. But it's really up to Macbeth to fulfill that, right? It's up to him to take up the gauntlet and go forward with their predictions. Usually, witches in plays and novels are controlling events. They're like the fates. But what's interesting about Macbeth is that it really isn't about Macbeth falling prey to his own fate as much as it is about Macbeth falling prey to his own character, and that's a choice. Uh, witches exist in modern form, predicting things that are bad happening to people, um, but they are not the ones in control. You are in control, and that's what I like about the portrayal of the, the witches in Macbeth. They're not actually compelling Macbeth to do anything. They're just telling him, here's what's going to happen, and then Macbeth actually has, he has a whole conversation with Macduff at the very beginning, uh, all about whether he is going to uh, whether he's going to do all of these things. Uh, and then, of course, he goes and does all of them. Okay, time for a thing that I hate. So we now have this is some pretty disturbing footage. So this is the dash cam video from the Philando Castile shooting. So. If you recall, originally the only footage we saw was from inside the car in the Philando Castile shooting. This is a shooting up in, I believe, Minnesota, uh, where a black guy named Philando Castile is pulled over for a broken taillight. He was a suspect in a robbery, uh, and he is pulled over, and he informs the cop. Uh, the only tape we had originally seen was the girlfriend saying, 
that he had told the cop that he was armed, and then he had not been reaching for his gun, and the cop had shot him without provocation. This is the dash cam footage, and honest to goodness, I don't know how you can watch this tape and not come away with the idea that the cop is responsible for, at the very least, manslaughter. I mean, it's not first-degree murder. It wasn't like he went out that day seeking to shoot somebody, but manslaughter is basically mistaken murder, and that's what happens here. What happens, you'll see, is Philando Castile, this is a shot from outside the car, Philando Castile uh, says to the officer, uh, officer, I just want to inform you, I have a firearm on me. And But this, the, the officers will say to him, you'll hear the officer say, uh, can you give me your, your license and, and registration, please? And as Castile is reaching for his license and registration, he says, I just want to inform you, officer, that I have a weapon in the car. And the officer says, don't reach for it. He says, I'm not reaching for it. And then the officer shoots him. There are a couple of major problems here. One is that the officer had not countermanded his order not to reach for his ID and wallet, right? So what he should have said is, Sir, put your hands on the wheel, right? Sir, get out of the car, right? Well, whatever it is, he didn't countermand the original order, and he immediately started shooting, even though he had his gun drawn, and Castile was not reaching for his gun and was saying he wasn't reaching for his gun. Here is the tape. It's, it's really egregious. I do have a okay. firearm on okay. me. Don't reach for it, then. Don't pull it out. Don't pull it out. Okay, he says, I'm not reaching for it. I'm not going to reach for it. The officer, what you don't see here is that right before this, the officer had asked him for his his license and ID. And so the officer gives a confusing order and then responds badly to the situation. He was let off by the jury. So there are a lot. So I said last night on Twitter, I don't see a clue why he shouldn't have been convicted of manslaughter here. He was not convicted. He was acquitted. I guess the case from the jury would have been something like uh, he didn't know if Castile was, was reaching for the gun. Maybe he was lying while he was reaching for the gun. I don't know why you would say to the officer, I have a gun in the car if you intended to shoot the officer. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but beyond that, the, the, so people were saying, well, I have a clue. I have a clue why, why he got off. The implication, of course, being that the officer is not white. Uh, I mean, is not black. I believe the officer is Asian. Uh, and the, and, the, and the, the victim is black. So therefore, that's why he was let off, the officer. Uh, this is a bunch of crap. The reason the officer was let off, Wesley Lowry gets this right. He is, uh, not, uh, he is a reporter who I thought did some poor reporting on Ferguson, but who is right about this stuff. And, and Wesley Lowry said... No, what really happened here is that it is very difficult to convict a cop, and that is basically true. It is almost impossible to convict a cop. We've had situations like Michael Slager and Walter Scott, in which we have tape of somebody being shot in the back, and then there's a mistrial because people don't want to convict cops. Listen, I understand the tendency not to want to convict cops. I think that the vast, vast, vast majority of shoots are good. I think that cops are doing an almost impossible job, a very, very difficult job, in which I would not want to participate. But when you take the job and when you get the training, then there are certain rules that are in that are in, placed upon you, and you have to abide by those rules, and you have to be trained to be good at this. And, and, uh, and if you get it wrong, then it's going to cost you. Uh, and we have to treat officers as though they have responsibility, just like any other citizen, except heightened, because uh, they actually have training where other citizens do not. So... I understand the tendency to try and defend cops in situations like this, but this is not, as far as I can see from this tape, it's not defensible. If there's, if there's extraneous evidence that I've not seen, I will change my opinion. But based on this evidence, uh, I, I, this looks much more like manslaughter than it does like even close to a good shoot for me. Okay, uh, time for a little bit of Bible talk. So uh, we have gone through, as I say, the entire Bible uh, in, in the Jewish tradition, the entire five books of Moses. So now we've moved on to the Haftors. The Haftors are these these parts of the writings and the prophets that are associated with the portion of the week 
from the Torah. Originally, they were read because they were, the, the Jews were banned by the Romans from reading from the Torah itself. So instead, the Jews started reading from the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, the, the prophets and the writings, uh, in order to evade scrutiny of the Romans. This is from the book of Isaiah. And it's because uh, it's the new moon this week, so it's Rosh Chodesh, it's the, it's the new moon, new month is declared on Saturday. Uh, so here is, the, here is what it says in Isaiah chapter 66. Who heard anything like this? Who saw anything like these? Is a land born in one day? Is a nation born at once that Zion both experienced birth pangs and bore her children? Will I bring to the birth stool and not cause to give birth, says the Lord? Am I not he who causes to give birth? Now should I shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem. Exult in her, all those who love her. Rejoice with her, a rejoicing, all who mourn over her. In order that you suck and become sated from the breast of her consolations, in order that you deep drinkly, drink deeply and delight from her approaching glory. For so says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to you like a river and like a flooding stream, the wealth of the nations, and you shall suck thereof. On the side you shall be born, and on knees you shall be dandled, like a man whose mother consoles him. So will I console you, and in Jerusalem you shall be consoled. I wanted to point a couple things out here. One, Okay, the focus on Jerusalem is a uniquely Jewish one. All of this is written long before the time of Jesus uh, and certainly long before the time of Islam. So whenever people say it's a, it's, the Jerusalem is, a, is holy to all religions, it's holy to all religions because it was holy to Judaism first, and that's pretty evident from this particular section. But also, um, I, I do love the, the, what God says about the redemption, the idea of the suddenness of the redemption, and that is uh, the, the magic of... That, that is the magic of the rebirth of the state of Israel. Uh, the, the rebirth of the state of Israel uh, was basically undertaken in the beginning of the 20th century, and then it happens in 1947, 1948, and it's born. I mean, not like most other nations are born. Right? It's born with it's, its independence is declared. Within a year, it exists. Hundreds of thousands of Jews are flowing into it. Uh, the nation was born all at once, and Zion experienced birth pangs and bore her children. One of the beautiful things about the prophets is that uh, if the prophecies don't come true, they're not actual prophets. That's, that's sort of the point of the prophecies. Uh, and these prophecies are quite beautiful. You can see uh, that eventually, if the first half of the prophecy has been fulfilled, then the second half will also be fulfilled, that peace will be extended to Israel like a river, and um, the wealth of nations will come to Israel, not just because the wealth of nations will be centralized in Israel or anything, but because the wealth of the nations will spread out from Israel as well. Um, God's love for the Jewish people is is proclaimed here. God's love for humanity is proclaimed via the Jewish people, as Jews believe in, as it says in the Old Testament. Uh, and so the more love uh, that God shows to the Jews, the better it is uh, for the world at large, because obviously we are all extensions of the same root. Uh, and, and so it's, 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 it's just a beautiful Haftorah. It's, it's, quite, it's quite moving, actually. Okay, so we'll be back here tomorrow, and we will have Big Ideas. So this is our new segment that we do on Thursdays. Big Ideas, where we take an idea that you've been hearing about in the news, and we break it down so that you understand it, and then you can use it in your daily life. We'll be doing all of that tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First... Let's say you were a stormtrooper and you were enjoying a nice meal of roasted Ewok in the Death Star mess hall. Well, all of a sudden you hear the voice of Alec Guinness saying, use the force, Luke. The next thing you know, the entire place is going up in flames around you. And it's at this moment you really wished you had life insurance. Make life insurance part of your financial planning this year. Start shopping right now with Policy Genius. Find the right policy and protect your family. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. Luckily, Policy Genius helps you compare your options from top companies and their team of licensed experts. Well, they're on hand to help talk you through it. No added fees. Your personal information remains private. It's super satisfying to check life insurance off that to-do list. A good life insurance plan 
can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, God forbid, your family will be able to cover mortgage payments, college costs, or other expenses. Life insurance through your workplace might not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It's not going to follow you if you leave your job. Head on over to policygenius.com right now. Save time and money. Give your family a financial safety net with Policy Genius. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro or click that link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro.